It's Tuesday, August 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, freshly shaven. He looks 10 years younger. It's Jason Moser. Good to see you. I like the 10. Some said five, some said 10. I'm going with the 10. I'm not even, I'm not even split in the middle there. Let's say 10. We have got a lot of money going into ESG investing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start, though, with Lumentum, which is a stock I know you've had on your radar for a while. Fourth quarter results were better than expected. That plus guidance for the new fiscal year was enough to push Lumentum shares up 4% this morning. Uh, This is an optical networking company and I hasten to add, a supplier to a little company called Apple. Yes, uh, you know, among other things. Um, And and I think, you know, it's it's really been interesting to watch these these tech component companies over the past uh, few quarters. Particularly, you know, during during this this pandemic, because I mean, I, I think what they're showing um, is their resiliency, right? They are they are very busy right now, and a lot of that has to do with the build out of five G networks and just general advancements in technology, um, the Internet of Things. I mean, we're we're entering a time where things are becoming more connected, more useful, more immersive, <clears throat> and this certainly plays right uh, into Lamentum's. Um, specialty, right? I mean, this is this is something I think a business is going to be very relevant in the coming decade as technology continues to evolve and connect and do more things. And, and you know, Lumentum is is in the business of of optical products, chips, lasers, things like that. They're really known well for, um, and, and I've talked about this technology before: VCSEL, vertical cavity surface emitting lasers. Um, and that ultimately is, is the technology that is, is really key behind 3D sensing, which is very key uh, to immersive technology and all of the cool things that, that our phones and other devices are doing these days. And the neat thing about Lumentum, too, is while they are a big supplier to Apple, they are not just an Apple uh, supplier. They are very much a supplier in the Android world as well. So they are pretty much device agnostic, which opens up that opportunity for them. Interesting history behind the company. They spun off from JDS Uniphase in 2015. Have done really well for themselves. But if we look at the actual results from the quarter, I mean, strong results. They they were very clear in the call that while the the ongoing drama with Huawei is is something that is affecting some companies maybe more than others in this value chain, Lamentum is actually uh, really coping with that. Situation very very nicely. They're just they're just becoming less and less reliant on Huawei, whereas Huawei really is kind of reliant on Lumentum's technology and finding themselves in a little bit of a bind. But uh, I mean, we we've seen this 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 cycle right now is starting to really pick up steam in in Lumentum in in a market where a lot of companies are pulling back on guidance or or not offering any guidance whatsoever. Lumentum actually got it higher for the fiscal force quarter than, than uh, Wall Street estimates had pegged them at. And, and it sounds like it's shaping up to be a good fiscal year to come. One of the greatest performers in, in our augmented reality service thus far, Chris, right? Ask Lamentum or ask a doctor if Lamentum is right for you, right? That, that's, that's the Chris Hill joke. I love it. I can't get enough of it. When you look at their relationship with Apple, we have seen other companies um, do very well for a couple of years because they are, quote unquote, a key supplier to Apple. And that works out really well until it doesn't, until Apple says, you know what, we're going to go with someone else. We're going to do this on our own. When you look at Lumentum, 
Obviously, it's great to have the Apple business. Uh, do you look at them and think, boy, I would love them to find uh, a way to be less reliant on Apple? Or do you look at them and say, you know what? Yeah, they've got, they've got other people they're supplying to. They're not, uh, not going to crumble if six months from now, Apple decides to move on. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, that that is always a double-edged sword, right? I mean, it's nice to have, but it cuts both ways, and, and certainly big customers can command some pricing, which impacts margins. We've seen through the course of time, really kind of the opposite story play out for Lamentum when they spun out from JDS Uniphase in 2015, when they went uh, on their own. Um, I mean, not only have they been able to grow earnings at a, a compound annual rate of 47%, but they have seen gross margin expansion from 33% to 47%, operating margin expansion from 5% to 27%. So, they're doing a very good job, not only serving their current customers, but growing uh, that customer base as well. And, and like I mentioned, having that exposure to the Android world as well really does take a lot of the pressure off. Um, I think that probably frees them up a little bit to feel like they can do more things as opposed to trying to make sure that they're, they're just doing one thing really well and serving one particular customer. Um, I mean, you never want to see them lose a big customer like an Apple, but you know, the, the flip side of that is that it does, it does seem like Number one, Momentum really is the market leader in this space, particularly when it comes to that VCSEL technology. Uh, there are other competitors out there, 2.6 playing in that sandbox, but, but really, uh, Momentum does something really well, and, and I suspect that their, their customers are very happy uh, with that, and, and I, I don't think uh, there are any really red flags on the, on the horizon that, that investors should be worried about in regard to customer concentration. ESG investing is something we don't talk about all that often on this show. ESG standing for environmental, social, and governance. Uh, maybe we need to start talking about it more because assets under management in ESG funds have crossed the $1 trillion mark for the first time ever. This is according to data compiled by Morningstar. You and I were chatting a little bit this morning, Jason. This is this is going beyond just funds. Um, we're seeing large corporations starting to invest in um, ESG, whether it's um, hiring uh, executives for the C-suite of their businesses or just starting to deploy, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, this is from a fun perspective. This is really customer service in its purest form, isn't it? I mean, you find out what the people want, and then you give it to them. And I think for for probably a long time, most investors didn't really realize that ESG um, investing was necessarily a thing that was gaining traction or presented all these types of opportunities. But you know, it's kind of that that field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. And, and, it, and it seems like we're seeing more and more, not only governments, municipalities buying into it and investing in it, we're seeing more fund managers buying into it, renaming funds, redirecting funds. We're seeing corporations starting to actually raise money based on uh, green bond framework. Certainly, uh, Visa just made uh, so, some news here in, in that in that regard. And, and it's interesting to see the formality here behind this green bond framework. Like, if you look at, you know, if you read through 
Visa's issuance of these bonds, I mean, they're very clear as to what they're trying to do, right? I mean, finance the transition to low-carbon operations, um, align with sustainability, the issuance of green, pond, green bonds will hopefully inspire other companies to do the same thing. But there is, there's an organization, an association called the ICMA, the International City-slash-County Management Association. And this is, this is the world's leading association of professional city and county managers um, in, in, in local governments. And, and there are actually green bond, fun, uh, green bond guidelines that, that are used in order to really guide how investment firms, how companies um, formalize and carry out these types of investments. And they really are things that are all geared towards sustainable measures, renewable energy, green buildings, sustainable water management. Um, and, and then further, and, and I think Visa is going to be you know, one of just many companies that does this, but they're going to be issuing an annual report on the use of the proceeds from their green bond fund and their environmental impact going forward. And I think that'll provide the transparency and accountability uh, that will lead towards more interest in the space. And, and hopefully a decade from now, we'll be looking at a, uh, a firmly different mindset uh, in the way we view how we use resources in the world and whatnot. Um, Around the investing community and around the world, I think this really is this is really the the beginning of of a of a change in mindset that that will hopefully last for many many years to come. And there are a couple of different ways you can look at this, but uh, I think in every way that you look at this, this is a growing trend. So one way to look at it is just how are businesses uh, spending money on power. And increasingly, over the past decade, you'll see a story here or there about like, oh, this large company uh, just in you know invested a bunch of money in solar panels for their warehouses, and that's gonna that's gonna power their warehouse. They're gonna get you know uh, their energy that way. Um, you can also look at it just from the standpoint of uh, act. I was gonna say activist investors, but that's you know that that that's more on like the hedge fund side of it of just sort of individual investors. Um, Larry Fink from uh, BlackRock made some comments a couple of weeks ago about just sort of uh, ESG as a trend as more and more investors start to care more about uh, where their investment dollars are going. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't all that long ago when, I mean, I think it was Larry Fink who, who really came out um, on the front lines of, of this change, right? I mean, talking about how important it, it was for, for him, to him, not only personally, but, but also for the company and, and for the investing community and, and, and the world uh, at the end of the day, you know, being able to, to adopt these types of, of mindset changes and these, these uh, philosophies and these new ways of doing things. And, you know, it just, it just takes a little bit to get the movement started. And, 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 you know, I mean, investing at the end of the day is, I mean, we want to feel good doing it, of course, but really we're investing for, for a reason, right? We're investing to make money and achieve, you know, the goals that we've set out for ourselves. And, and I think, you know, for a long time, it was just seen as, as maybe a, a more expensive way of doing business, ESG. And, and we're getting to the point now where that's just not the case. And, and therefore, it starts presenting more attractive investment opportunities. Um, and, and when you start talking about making opportunities to make more money, well, the, the investor community's ears perk up, and that brings more people into the fold. And, and, and you know, it doesn't take too long, and you have a movement on your hands, and, and it seems like we're, we're at that point now, which is nice. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. 
got a question from Itamar in Israel. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Apologies if I'm not. Uh, he writes, I listen to your podcast on my drive to work. On one of these drives recently, I was reminded of the wedding industry and the fact that most people I know are either postponing their wedding or scaling it down significantly due to the pandemic. Is there any way to invest in some future increase in wedding activity, or do you think that these couples may be routing their money elsewhere? Would appreciate some input. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Uh, I love this question because of uh, the way this guy is thinking. You know, just thinking in terms of here's this industry; it's depressed right now. <laughs> what does a rebound look like, and is there a way to invest in it? And uh, before I hand off to you, Jason, the one of the things that stood out in his uh, email was uh, the phrase when he said, I, "You know, most people I know are either postponing their wedding." or scaling it down significantly. <laughs> and that's yeah. that's the part that I look at and think, you know, we've talked before about how um, in the past, uh, there would be um, a natural disaster of some sort, a hurricane, a blizzard, that kind of thing. And uh, monthly auto sales take a hit, but uh, oftentimes they rebound the following month. Um, but th that doesn't happen for restaurant sales because people aren't going to go out and, and eat twice as much food as a result of that. <laughs> this is one of those things, I don't know, like, I, 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 I want to see every industry have the opportunity, opportunity to rebound. But, uh, you know, when I think about the wedding industry, it really does seem like um, it's not going to be a V-shaped recovery. No, no. And I mean, you're, you're definitely, you can't make up for... Um missed weddings. I mean, obviously postponed weddings, a bit of a different thing. I mean, but people generally speaking, aren't going to go out and get extra married if they had to, you know, <laughs> postpone it or delay it or whatever. But I, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a massive market. I mean, you, you and I are, are, are married. I mean, I, you guys have been married for, I don't know how long you care, but married for, you know, probably as long or longer than my wife and I've been married, but, um, I, I, there's a lot that goes into a wedding, right? It's expensive. And I mean, you're, you're talking about a $75 billion market. And I'm sorry, I said your wife's name was Carol. I meant Karen. Apologies, Karen. Um, but $75 billion market, and it's growing the average uh, wedding costing somewhere in the neighborhood of $33,000, which that is not chump change. And, um, I, you know, it, it, so I think it, it's reasonable to assume going forward that there, there might be a different perception on how people view weddings. I mean, that, that millennial mindset or, or future generations, Gen Z, may think of it a little bit differently. I don't think that's going to be something that extends to the greater population. I think there's still going to be plenty of people that value that that time in their lives, that occasion. Um, it, it, you know, weddings are very small business focused. So, then you start thinking about what businesses really support these small businesses. And I mean, there's some of the usual suspects out there. We talk about companies like Square or companies like Shopify, and, and I'll throw Stripe in there, even though Stripe isn't publicly traded, but Stripe powers a lot of Shopify's payments. Uh, but you talk about caterers, you talk about photographers, you talk about all these service providers for a wedding. A lot of them are just small businesses that are running their operations, you know, with one or, one or two of these uh, businesses in mind. You look at companies, and Shopify actually has some pretty cool stuff in regard to, to wedding registry uh, 
app builds too. Like you can actually, if you're a company that, that does that stuff, you can actually, Shopify has tools where you can build a registry. Um, Wayfair, another great idea there that, that has been catering to that market and building out registries and figuring out more ways to participate in that space as well. I think Pinterest is always a fascinating one just because of the nature of the platform. Um, I think one thing that's probably not as disrupted uh, e even for people who say, well, we're going to cut back and spend less on the wedding, I think travel's probably not as disrupted. I think people still probably, after the wedding is all said and done, however they do it, they're probably going to want to go somewhere, um, the traditional honeymoon. And, and I think there is probably going to be a lot of pent-up demand in, in regard to travel that could, uh, that, that could come, come to the surface here over the next several years. And, and perhaps housing as well. I mean, you know, getting married is one of those things that you know, you start thinking about settling down and perhaps buying a house and whatnot. So, I mean, I think it's really just, it's helpful to look at all of the markets that really serve this this ultimate wedding market, right? The before, the during, and the after, because there's so there's so much in play here. But yeah, I'd imagine any any um, headwinds it's facing now, I think there are some areas that, that'll, that'll pick, back, uh, pick some steam back up once it's all said and done. I hadn't thought of the wedding registries uh, before you mentioned it, but that that could be something that uh, maybe provides some insight. I can imagine uh, six months from now on an earnings call uh, or 12 months from now, uh, maybe some uh, retailers talking about the, the wedding registry business uh, that they've got, um, whether it's you know Bed Bath & Beyond or Target or whoever it is. Um, I, I could see that sort of thing, but um, but until then, it's yeah, it's 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 hard to get insight because, as you said, so much of uh, this industry is those small businesses out there. Yeah, yeah, and you will see. I mean, we will see in time. I mean, companies like Wayfair. I think even Etsy really will will get in here and talk more about this. But they they do shine a light on things like registries and the benefits there. I mean, Wayfair that that was something relatively recent uh, that they were starting to put more attention to was was developing wedding registries and playing more of a part in that market because it is such a big one. I mean, we just just said it right there. I mean, the wedding the wedding industry generally speaking is about a seventy five billion dollar market. It is growing. I mean, we talk about looking for you know, large and growing market opportunities as investors. I mean, weddings are no exception. It's just trying to spot the companies in the value chain that are really worth our time. And, you know, those aren't necessarily as obvious, but they are there. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.